I wish you a wonderful good morning today. I hope you're all fine and strong and ready to receive what God has prepared for us today. Today I want to speak about a subject um, as far as I know I've never talked about before uh, and yet it's a very important subject uh, that uh, God has put into his word and uh, this is the tabernacle of David, the tabernacle of David. If you think maybe that might not be necessary to think about, uh, maybe at the end of this, uh, of this uh, time of sharing the word of God, studying the word of God, you will think otherwise. Because it's really something very, very central in the word of God that we need to uh, learn about and that we need to understand. And then we take it from read uh, uh, some scriptures to start with, and then we take it from there. Isaiah chapter 16, verse 5. Isaiah chapter 16, verse 5. In the mercy, in mercy the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. Okay, if you don't have the King James, New King James Version or King James, maybe instead of Tabernacle of David, it says the House of David, but it's the same. So uh, don't get disturbed. So one will sit on this throne, you know, in truth, in the Tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. That is a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah who lived uh, over 700 years before Jesus came. Ephesians chapter one verse five. I read from the New Living Translation. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own families by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Okay, again, if you have another translation apart from NLT, maybe it talks about God adopted us as his own sons. It's all the same. We are to be brought into the family of God. We are brought into uh, sonship. You know, and that has nothing to do with gender. Whether we are male or female, we are still called to be the sons of the living God because there is a time when there will be no more male and female or all these other things, Greek or Jew or whatever else. And finally, Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the spirit, turned until I put your enemies under your feet? If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So Jesus is quoting here from Psalm 110, where this uh, scripture is being written, of course, again, hundreds of years before Christ came. The Lord said to my Lord, and, and, and this is a very, very powerful scripture, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much for your kindness, for your love, Thank you, Lord, for having made a wonderful way for each and every one of us, for us to live in this world, for us to enjoy the goodness of your creation, the goodness of kindness and love and mercy and grace. Lord, thank you for the love that we receive from other people, but Lord, more so even the love that we receive from above every single day. It's by your mercy and by your grace that we are here today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can be able to live through this time of uh, this 
season of grace. And may this grace be multiplied to us today. Lord, we not only looking for salvation grace, but Lord, we look for dominion grace, that we can be able to live according to your perfect plan as the sons of God in the earth. To you be the glory and the honor. Amen. I want to read another scripture uh, from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1. And uh, that really uh, is the beginning of, of uh, the, the study of uh, what we call the tabernacle of, of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1 says, After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in your mind. Go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. That is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelled in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Whenever I have moved with all the Israelites, I did, ever, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now that's very, very interesting. Now, let me go on to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7. <clears throat> now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. I took you from the, from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler of the people of Israel. I've been with you wherever, wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I'll make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. Wow. Imagine. What a promise. God promised David, I will make your name as one of the greatest names of the mightiest people on earth. And of course, that is true. Because David's name is a name that everybody will immediately be able to reconnect. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will, know, will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And have, and have done every, all your enemies for you. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. Okay, David desired to build a house for the Lord and God said, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you. We'll come back to that later on. When your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring and to succeed you. One of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will establish his throne forever. Praise the Lord. Now, this is a powerful story and you know, it's a quite, uh, you know, wide uh, subject. Uh, I probably cannot uh, do justice to all of the different scriptures that are uh, having this content and that give us more light and understanding in this, in this matter. But nevertheless, uh, it is important for us to see and hear the desire of God to live together with man. Okay? All in all, you know, in these whole stories that we are reading here is that there should be an in intimate relationship between God the Creator and us, the crown of creation made in the image of God. Okay? Somehow, this is what David was able to catch. 
And probably this is why the Bible calls David a man after the heart of God. Not that David has not made mistakes. He did, you know, he, he, he erred many times. But that is not really a problem to God because God can always lead us out of sin and into repentance as long as we are dedicated, as long as our heart is willing to submit to God and even when necessary uh, be able to humble themselves. So David is a person who understood deep down in his heart the value, the importance of being close to God. And you know, even so, it was by no way a guaranteed uh, reality because there were too many people who were just following re a religious order. Just like today, you know, we have, we have uh, Christ who has come for us, who has given his life for us, who has laid down himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And, and many people, you know, come to church, go to church, you know, somehow claim to be Christians, but they haven't really got that close, intimate relationship with Christ, their Lord, as, they, as it should be. Okay, if, if Jesus is your Lord, then there should be an intimate relationship with him. And, and, and that is what we are seeing here, you know, God desires to have a relationship, an intimate, deep, intimate relationship with, with, with the creation, the crown of creation that is mankind, okay? We are made in the image and likeness of God. Nobody else was made like that, but we have been. And of course, it is desire to, of, the desire of God to be able to live together with God in a family, okay? God has decided in advance to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it brings him great pleasure. What a scripture, you know? Uh, I think you should uh, just copy it and write it somewhere at your, at your home where you see it uh, constantly, because this is a powerful word that God gives to us. So in other words, there can be no doubt about the intentions of God. There can be no questions about uh, what has God in mind, okay? Many people doubt God just because maybe they go through some difficulties here and there and then they wonder, where is God? God has promised that he will not leave us, that he will not forsake us, that he will be on our side. And, you know, if God says, I want you to be part of my family, that is it. That is his desire, that he has decided even before the foundation of the world. So God is a master designer. And before he created anything that our eyes can see, he designed you and me. He has a plan for each and every one of our lives. And to me, this is very powerful. He created us to have free access to him, the Father, okay, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God did not want us to be, you know, at a distance to each other to be separated from him. God wanted us to be in close relationship with each other. To me, it's very strange because you know, every human being deep down in our hearts, we have a desire to have, to have relationships, okay? Somebody who is single and has a problem to find uh, uh, you know, a mate is, is deeply unhappy. Maybe they don't say it or they don't show it, but the reality is true because we are made for relationships, okay? And not only for human relationships as, as important as that is, but we are made ultimately for the relationship between you know, ourselves and our creator. So God created us with a free access to both the heavenly realm, okay, where God is, and you know, God could be accessed by Adam and Eve anytime, and of course also access to the earth, okay, because they related to the earth. They were, they were uh, creatures made to fit and function on this earth. But then of course, this relationship had to be tested. 
Okay, now, when, when they were first created, there was a time when Adam would consult with, with God, and probably even when Eve came along, they were able to have uh, a certain uh, advice, receive uh, instructions, or whatever it may have been. There must have been some kind of fellowship uh, before things went wrong. But then God decided to test that relationship. And if you think that is not fair, uh, then I would give you very good advice. You know, for those of you who are young and you are going into, into a relationship, maybe courtship, whatever you call it, uh, test that relationship. Okay? Don't, don't just get married without testing that relationship. You might get shocked. Yeah, very quiet. Okay? That's why there is something that we call courtship, okay? That's why there is a time where we should come to know each other. Because, you know, maybe somebody was so hungry for a relationship and you came along and uh, that person said, oh yeah, 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 I've been waiting. But then of course somebody else comes along who is maybe more attractive than you. And then all of a sudden things are changing. That's why things need to be tested. You know, that was the purpose of God's test. There was a tree in the garden, one tree only, out of I don't know how many, probably millions. Only one tree was there, and God said, from that tree, I don't want you to partake. Don't eat from that tree, okay? God did not want to keep anything away from his beloved creatures you know, the human beings that he'd made in his image. But God wanted to test man. And in fact, he had to test him. And that's why that, that test came. Sooner or later, they had to, you know, enter into that exam and write that test, as we would say today. You know, when you go to school, when you go to university, there will be a time when an exam will be given to you, whether you like it or not. You don't go to school only to sit and listen and hopefully learn, but you're also going to school in order to write your exam and pass your exam. If you are going to school to fail your exams, then you don't need to go to school. Am I right? Because you will never be qualified for what you are learning if you are not willing to sit in your exam or if you are failing your exam. So God knew how important it was to test the resolve of man whether he would want to walk with him or not. Now man, obviously, as we all know, failed and he was uh, getting attracted by another lover, okay, and quickly forgot everything that God had promised him and that God had shown him as a wonderful plan for his life uh, by that attraction that came from the tree of knowledge of good and, you know, this strange evil, okay? Now today we know evil, okay? And I, I don't think any one of us would love to have more evil in their lives, would you? Have you ever prayed, God, give me more evil, I have not enough of it? <laughs> no, that would be foolish, you know. Of course, evil is something that troubles us, that, that, that gives us headache, that gives us, you know, temptations and so many other things, you know. So we don't want evil. And yet, that's exactly what uh, the first people chose. And when they chose it, of course, they turned against their creator, because God said, do not eat from that tree. The only one command that God gave them very clearly, do not. Everything else was do this, do this, do this, you know, you can do this. Actually showing the potential to the people, but on that particular issue, God clearly said, do not eat from that tree. Okay, one command. Should be not difficult to, to keep that command. But as we can see, in our own lives, in mankind as a whole, even one... Now, while man failed, 
God did not. Okay? And I want you to understand that. We fail, but God does not fail. Okay? We have failed, and Adam and Eve failed, but God did not fail. Okay? And he never fails. And even when they failed, God was not at the end of his wisdom. No, he had planned for all of this, even way back before creation was coming into being. Now, let's look at some of the hindrances God had overcome to make the original plan work again, you know, to bring man who was now cut off from God, how we would be able to bring him back into relationship with him. And that was not easy because, you know, the Bible tells us that God cannot have fellowship with sin. You know, God cannot, cannot accept sin. There cannot be darkness in the in the presence of the light of God. So how would God uh, be able to solve this problem that man had created for themselves? Okay, sin created a barrier, a barrier that man could never cross. Even so, you know, it was created by man, but man could never cross that barrier to come to God. It was impossible. So God visited his humans to give them a chance to repent, okay? When you read the first uh, um, you know, few chapters of the book of Genesis, you find out that God actually came to visit Adam and Eve and was asking them, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat? Okay, and, and you know, when you, when you ask, you know, when you, you know, catch your children red-handed uh, in, in a theft or in something that you told them not to do, you asked him, you know, did you do this? And of course, what are you hoping to achieve when you ask your children such a question? You would hope they would tell you, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm sorry, dad. Uh, I did it, yes. Forgive me. And of course, God wanted to give that opportunity to his creatures that he, they would be able to ask for forgiveness. But unfortunately, this is the prize is still in our world today and it's so powerful. You know, sin created the original barrier and pride makes it even higher. So the pride of man was hindering him to ask for forgiveness, to hinder him to humble himself and say, yes, I've done wrong. So he, he never agreed, Adam never agreed that he did wrong. Actually, he shifted the blame, that was all. He shifted the blame to Eve, okay? Of course, he was the first one to be asked, so he was in a perfect condition to find somebody to shift the blame to. Okay, so God didn't say anything else. He just went on to Eve and he asked Eve the same question. And Eve could have said, okay, uh, it is true, I, I, I went wrong. I knew, I knew that you said we should not eat from that tree, but I have done it, forgive me. But she didn't ask for forgiveness either. But she also shifted the blame to the serpent. And of course you could say that was a legitimate thing because after all the serpent was bringing the temptation, but actually it's not true. You know, the test is a test. And you who is sitting in the test have to produce well in order to pass. You know, temptations may always be there, okay? There will always be people who are saying, no, I've got a perfect way. You know, you can put your small pieces of paper somewhere or maybe in the toilet we can hide some papers, you know, and, and, and temptations are there. But for you, you must decide not to allow temptations to overtake you. And if you allow, then you should be man or woman enough to say, I've done wrong. And of course, the, most of the time when such things happen, you know, uh, it's, it's very interesting. You know that certain malpractices have happened, but you don't find anybody guilty. Nobody is guilty. Everybody says, no, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And yet, of course, it's very clear that human beings were, were involved, isn't it? This is the old nature of man. 
okay? It has not changed up to today. We are still struggling with the same human nature that was uh, establishing itself at that time. But God decided to give them a chance anyway. And you know, this is really what we, 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 need, to, we need to take note of. You see, I said man failed, but God did not fail. And so while man failed, God still covered the human beings with a perfect cover. Now, they were trying to cover themselves with uh, uh, some clothing they were quickly creating, so they became very, very uh, you know, inventive, which is, a, which is a, a evidence of, of them having been able to be creative like God himself is creative. Unfortunately, they used it in a wrong way. So they made themselves clothing to cover their nakedness, but it didn't help them. And so God uh, demonstrated for them how their sin could be covered. Even so, they didn't ask for forgiveness. God still demonstrated to them how sin can only be taken care of. And God did that not only for their own sake, but also for the sake of the next generations. Because, of course, other people would be born. And if God would not establish a mechanism, you know, an example of how uh, they can find God, then nobody would know it. And so God showed them this powerful, perfect way of how people could still come back into relationship and fellowship with God. Okay, so God decided to kill some innocent animals. So the first blood that was shed on the earth was not shed by Cain, but by God himself. Okay, why? Because God showed man that sin is so serious that you cannot just clean it off. You cannot just dust it. You cannot just wipe it. It can only be forgiven through the blood of an innocent lamb. Of course, and God used animals at that particular time in order to demonstrate that. But they, those animals were actually pointing forward to the perfect lamb of God, and that is Christ, our Lord and Savior. Remembering us to himself through Jesus Christ. Okay, there is no entrance into the family of God except through Christ, okay? And of course, Christ was already there in the Garden of Eden, okay? The prophecy was given to, uh, to Eve at that time that one day, you know, somebody will come who will crush the head of the serpent. Even so, the serpent will strike his heel. And that was the seed that God was talking about, the seed of, of Eve talking about Christ who one day would come and finally do away with the enemy of mankind, that is Satan. So God pointed out a very clear avenue, a very clear path of mercy, of, of, of grace, how we would be able to come back to the living God. So God covered Adam and Eve, leaving the door open for repentance, okay? And that open door is called mercy. We can come through the door of mercy, we can come through the door of grace, and you know, this, this is working in, in tandem to mercy and grace for us to be restored to the living God. So God's desire is still the same today as it has been before the foundation of the world, as it has been after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, as it has been in many difficult situations throughout the history, it is even through, uh, through today. So God always provided an avenue through Christ, okay? An open avenue. So when we look at the second generation, you know, starting with Cain, Abel, and many other children, finally there came a son called Seth with whom God could continue his line. Uh, 
God still wanted them to follow him. And you know, when you look at the first two sons that uh, are described in the second generation, that is Cain and Abel, you see something very, very important. You know, there was this man, the firstborn son, whom the mother thought, Eve thought, this will be the one who will bring salvation, okay? She knew things were bad. They were not supposed the way they were, uh, they were not the way they were supposed to be. And so she was hoping Cain would be the one. But Cain was a self-willed man, doing what he wanted to do himself. Now, God created an avenue through altars, okay? So Cain, as well as Abel, they built an altar. An altar was a very easy way to, uh, you know, come to God, but of course the altar didn't matter too much. What mattered was the sacrifice that was put on the altar. And God had shown to Adam and Eve the only acceptable sacrifice would be the blood, okay? The animal, the innocent animal that had to shed its blood. Only that would be acceptable. And that's exactly what, what Abel did. But Cain didn't do so. Cain brought his own stuff. And God spoke to him and said, you know, if you continue to do this kind of thing, you know, sin is crouching at your door, but you must rule over it. So in other words, God was warning him that you will put yourself into more trouble if you are going your own way. You can be able to trust the Lamb of God. You can be able to, to, to trust me and, and you will find entrance. You will find an open door. But Cain did not do it. Abel did it, thank God. But unfortunately, Cain became so guilty. Now what we must understand from the time of Cain and Abel, people built altars throughout the history, okay? From the time of uh, Cain, Abel, and their brother Seth, up to Noah, constantly you see them uh, building altars and, 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 and using that as an, as an avenue to speak to their creator. And God received them many, many times. After that, we see Abraham again and uh, his sons, whom we call the patriarchs together, that they were also used, utilizing the same avenue of altars, coming to God, and God received them. You know, God started a wonderful new relationship, a wonderful new covenant with the people that he had created and the people who were far away from him. You know, uh, the Bible tells us that Abraham was an idol worshiper, living in a, in a land that was full of idol worshippers. And yet God spoke to him and Abraham responded and followed. And wherever Abraham went, he built an altar. Okay, because he knew for me to have a relationship with God, for me to have, uh, uh, you know, an ability to speak to God, I can come through him via that sacrifice. And that sacrifice, let's not forget that. That sacrifice is not just a, a, an animal, okay? It points to the innocent animal called Christ our Lord, okay? So we can come into the family through Jesus Christ, amen? That's the entry point. There's no other way to come into the family of God but through Christ. And, and Ephesians 1.5 says it so clearly, okay? God decided in advance that we should be part of his family. But he is only able to bring us to himself through whatever, you know, but only through Christ. That was the mistake of, and of course that is the mistake of so many people down in history who have tried to, to, to impress God with, with uh, amazing things. I mean, if you go into history and you see the kind of buildings that people have built for God, okay, sometimes you wonder, how did they do it? Because they didn't have the machinery that we have today. You know, today, so, sometimes we build very plain, plain uh, houses of worship, just like this one, you know. Uh, but when you look at some of these buildings that people have built, they, they really went effort into it. And you wonder sometimes, how did they do it? 
But it's not the houses that we built for him that impress God. Okay, it's not necessarily the sacrifice that we are uh, trying to, to show him, even so sacrifice is a good thing. But the question is, are we really able to enter by the blood of the lamb? Okay? Because if we don't enter by the blood of the lamb, then there's no entrance. The door is only open through those who come through Jesus Christ. When Israel had become a nation, God gave Moses a plan to build a tabernacle. That was not Moses' plan. That was God's plan. God actually invited Moses to come up on the mountain and then he showed him this, you know, in real, in real terms. You know, I don't know how it looked like because that was a spiritual world and Moses was able to enter that spiritual world and was able to see all of these things. And so you can imagine what kind of a brain Moses must have had. I don't think he had a notepad with him to write down what, uh, what, what uh, he needed to do because notepads were not available at that time. And even when God gave him the Ten Commandments, it had to be chiseled in stone, isn't it? So, but amazingly, Moses was given all of these instructions and this were, you know, the whole of... So go there and check all of these instructions. And Moses built the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was just a, a powerful illustration for man, you know, showing him the whole way of salvation from our sinfulness and how we can come to the outer court to have our sins washed away, you know, how a sacrifice is actually put there on our behalf so that we don't have to die. And then that blood eventually is taken into the holy place and even into the most holy place so that eventually we'll be connected back into the family of God because that has been the plan of God all along. So that tabernacle was being built. It was a powerful illustration and God was at the center of that tabernacle. You know, as people uh, were building that tabernacle and finally got finished, God established his presence in the center of the nation of Israel. And the Bible tells us the tribes of Israel were, you know, to the right, to the left, to the north, to the south. So actually they, they, it was building a cross. And God was hovering over that tabernacle. Okay, whenever God would lift the clouds of the tabernacle, that was, uh, you know, showing his presence, then the people of Israel knew it's time to move. How many of us do we really understand today whether the cloud of God is lifting that we should move or the cloud is settling that we should also settle? So God was showing them when to move, when to settle. He gave them a very, very good way of uh, uh, following, okay? He was not overburdening them with moving all the time or making them too lazy to stay all the time, but there was a time for everything. And so this tent was bringing them closer to the promised land because after all, God had promised them a better place, okay? Not slavery where they came from, but a land that was flowing of milk and honey. And as they came closer to it, you know, and as God said, okay, it's time to move, it's time to shift into the promised land, that's again when the people of Israel rejected, they refused. Of course, they did it so many times, but this time God said, I can't, I can't continue working with you because I cannot get my agenda finished with people who are constantly rejecting my word. And so God said, okay. They even suggested that they would go back to, to Egypt. But you know, when God has taken you a long way from, from Egypt, you can't really go back to Egypt. Should God perform a miracle for you to go to the Red Sea in reverse? No, he will not do that. So the only thing that you can be uh, left with is the, the, the wilderness, is the desert. And please, if you don't want to move forward, please don't choose the wilderness. It's not a good place. Now, 
you know, in some ways, God gives grace even to his people in the wilderness. Okay? The Bible tells us they didn't have to buy clothes because God kept the clothing fresh. Okay? For 40 years, they didn't need to go to the shop to buy clothing. You know, their shoes were not wearing out. 40 years. Imagine, how, how long did your pair of shoes last? The, the one you have longest. How, much, how long did it last? Okay? Imagine 40 years, their shoes did not wear out, their clothes did not wear out, and, and God provided for them manna every day, every day, because they couldn't even have lived in the, in the wilderness, they couldn't even have survived without the water that God was providing them. And the Bible tells us that God was providing water from the rock that was with them, and the rock was Christ. Okay? So this is amazing. So God kept them alive by his mercy, but they were not able to receive his grace because they were re refusing to enter into the land of promise. So that generation had to die. And another generation had to go rise up. And when they rose up, God said, okay, let's make another try. And God led them into the, pro into the, into the promised land <clears throat> and they took possession of that land. When they had entered into the promised land, God divided all of the land to the different tribes of Israel and uh, all of them were getting a very good portion. Now some things happened you know, that uh, some people would not want to happen. Okay? In the desert, God took care of the shoes, of the clothes, of the food and of the water. In the promised land, God didn't do that. Okay? God said, now you're responsible yourself. You have to learn to be overcomers. You have to be learning to be rulers in Christ. You have to have dominion grace. Okay? That, that's the reason why God brought human beings on the earth. Not to spoon feed them throughout their whole lifetime. I mean, they were behaving like babies and they were fed like babies for 40 years. But that was not the purpose. The purpose was that they would have dominion. And the grace for dominion was with them. God gave it to them. And so they settled in the land. And you can read, you know, the many generations that came and went. You know, there were judges who took care of, uh, of, of, of things to go right or, you know, to be, to be judged right. But then eventually as generations, uh, new generations arose, people forgot about what God had done for them. And they forgot about the plan of God for their lives. The tabernacle was there, but for them it just became a religious kind of uh, entity, and they really didn't have the relationship to the living God. So one day God allowed something that people wouldn't think could ever be allowed. Okay, one day the Philistines came and they stole the Ark of the Covenant. Ah, that was outrageous because nobody could walk into the most holy place uh, into where the Ark of the Covenant was amongst the people of Israel and survive. They would have died instantly. But God allowed the Philistines to actually not only walk in but steal it. Because now they were without the presence of God. Okay, would you need? They actually rejected him. But now God said, okay, you have rejected me. Okay, then why would you need the Ark of the Covenant? And so the Philistines, the enemies, took the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Of course, the Philistines didn't get very happy with the Ark of the Covenant because they didn't know the God Almighty. For them, you know, they had idols and they had all kind of different ways of worship and they took it into the temple of, of, of their gods. Okay. And the next morning when they came to their temple, they found that their God, Dagon, was fallen. Okay? And of course they wondered who could have pushed him because this was a big, you know, a monument. So they set it up again, not realizing what was going on. And uh, the following day, you know, after fixing everything, or whether it was a few days, you know, when they came back again, after having set up that their God again, I mean, how would you need to help a God to stand? You know, 
If the God is a God, you don't need to help him anything. But they had to repair their gods, make sure that he stands again. And then, you know, eventually, they came one morning after having done all these restoration jobs, and they found this time their God did not only fall, but splinter in so many pieces that there was no way to put it together again. And then they realized, hey, we, are, we have stolen the wrong kind of merchandise. Okay? We have stolen the Ark of the Covenant, which is too hot. So, making a long story short, you know, they decided to send the Ark of the Covenant back again to Israel because they could not handle it. Okay? So they made, they made a, a, you know, a small cart, a small wagon, and they put a fresh, with fresh uh, timber made especially for that purpose. They put the Ark of the Covenant there, and they took some animals, and they said, okay, go, go this way, this way. And they came into the land of Israel. Of course, when the people of Israel saw, they were afraid because, you know, they knew how, how uh, holy it was to have uh, the Ark of the Covenant. They were not supposed to see it. They were not supposed to have... Uh, direct uh, relationship with that at that time. But anyway, it came back and it was kept in a, in a house of a certain person. Again, it's a long story. You can read it uh, in, in the uh, book of Samuels and Kings. Uh, and so what happened is that the man who kept the Ark of the Covenant was now exceedingly blessed. Okay? The opposite happened from what happened in the temple of Dagon, you know, the, the Philistines' gods. But this man, Obed-Edom, was seeing blessings over blessings because of the Ark of the Covenant. He was giving, giving refuge to the Ark of the Covenant and God blessed him abundantly for it. Okay, when David heard that, then he says, hey, the, the Ark of the Covenant is not supposed to be at one private man's house. It's supposed to be in the house of God. Okay? But you know, after the Ark of the Covenant was stolen, we don't know exactly what happened to the rest of the tabernacle. Okay? There were some scriptures that tell us it was in Shiloh, it was in Gibeon, it was in, you know, Bethel. Uh, but then there's no more trace. It disappeared. But then David had the desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the rightful place. But then there was no covenant. I mean, there was no tabernacle at that time. There was no, there was no temple that was erected at time, that time. And of course, that is why, you know, he sat down one day and he had the desire to build a house for God. So that the, the Ark of the Covenant would find its true resting place again. So that human beings from the people of Israel and elsewhere could be able to come to meet with the living God as it was God's desire all along. So finally, David decided to bring the Ark of Covenant back. And of course, uh, he didn't do good studies. You know, that's why sometimes we go through calamities in our life. David did. He took the same cart the Philistines met. Okay? And uh, he took the same oxen the Philistine uh, sent to, to Israel. And he said, okay, let's, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. But then the oxen stumbled. Okay, and when the oxen stumbled, you know, uh, one of the people, Uzziah, had, a, had, a, had, had, had a, a fear that maybe the Ark of Covenant could, could fall down. And so he tried to help it to, to stay safe. That should have been considered something good, isn't it? But it cost him his life. Okay, he fell dead instantly. And of course, that ended the journey from that moment on, the journey could not go on because everybody realized this is dangerous. You are not treating the Ark of God like any other 
you know, piece of lock that you want to carry. And so David was annoyed. David was, was having his arguments with God. But as time went by, God showed him the right way of how you can carry the ark. Okay, and the right way to carry the ark is on the shoulders of the priests of God. Okay? And after he had learned that lesson, he decided, let us do it again. And they did it again, and they brought uh, the, 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 people, the, 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 the ark of the covenant all the way into Jerusalem in a very powerful procession. Let me read from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. So, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into a tent, okay? That was just pitched because, you know, David didn't have the, the former tabernacle. And, the, the new tabernacle was not yet built, so he, he just put up a tent. And interestingly, that tent becomes known as the tabernacle of David. Okay? That tent was actually a prophetic picture forward of what would happen one day. Let me read you from the book of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 10. The Bible says, now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the, name, in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them amongst the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them the, a people for his name. Here we are again. You know, we are connecting with the original intent and purpose of God. God is calling people out of darkness into his family. Okay? Through Christ. No other way. So, James is saying this was the intent of God and this is what is happening right now. And with this, and with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Here we are again. So God is calling this the tabernacle of David, okay? After this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. So we must now understand, okay, this is what the, the Bible calls the tabernacle of David. The prophet who was quoted here was Amos, Amos chapter 9, and maybe we can have Amos chapter 9 verse 13 here. Okay, just to give us first maybe Amos chapter 9 verse 11. The Bible says here, on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the day of old. Okay, verse 13. Go to 13, yes. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the trader of grapes, him who sows seed. 
The mountains shall drip with sweet vine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Okay? We know that in creation there is a cycle of seed time and harvest time. But God says, I'm going to reverse it. And this is what the tabernacle of David is all about. The tabernacle of David is actually a prophetic picture of something which was not yet there. Okay? It was yet to come because the tabernacle of David needed Christ himself. Okay? That's when even the temple would be wiped out. You know, the temple after Jesus died at the cross of Calvary could only remain for 17 more years and then it was destroyed. Something the Jewish people would never think God would allow. But God did it. Just as he allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be stolen by the Philistines, he allowed the temple to be destroyed. Because that, and the tabernacle of David is a very simple relationship between us and God through Jesus Christ. Okay? And God says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now, the, 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 the building, the, the temple that God, uh, that, that David desired to build, God said, I, I, you can't build it because you're a man of war, you have uh, shed a lot of blood. But your son is going to build it. Okay? And yes, his son built it, that was Solomon. But actually, when you read carefully, you see that God was not talking about Solomon. God was talking about one of his sons who is going to rise up. Okay? Solomon was already alive when, 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 when uh, um, David was, was old and was finally handing over the responsibilities to him. But God talked about somebody who would come in the future. And I think that's important. You know, let me read this again in the book of First Chronicles chapter 17. Verse 10, second part of verse 10, God says, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. David wanted to build a house for God, but God said, I will build a house for you. Okay, the other way around. You can't build a house for me. Okay, that's impossible. And he says, when the days, when your days are over and you're gone with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. That means long after David has died. Okay, it's not, it's not Solomon. You see that? Solomon was the son who was alive when even David was alive. But he says, when you are gone to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. One of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom. And that is Jesus. Okay, he is the son of David. Even the, the, the enemies of Jesus, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they knew that the son of David, the Messiah, is the son of David. Okay? The Christ is the son of David. The Christ means the anointed one, and they knew that he is the son of David. Jesus was ask, asking them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. So, Great A, they knew it. Okay, one of your own sons, I will rise up and he will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. That was now and was walking away from the, from the straight ways of the Lord. No, this was Christ. And Christ says, I will build my church. Okay? I will build my ecclesia. Okay? That is the house. Or I will build my tabernacle. Okay? Because we are the living stone of the tabernacle of God. You know, we, we read this in so many different scriptures, especially in the, the book of uh, First Peter, that we are living stones being put together into the temple of the living God. Okay, we are the temple. Okay, there's no need of a temple that needs to be rebuilt in Jerusalem one day. No, because we are the temple. Amen? And then we must understand that even Solomon himself realized that the house that he was building, even so, the temple was magnificent, it was powerful, it was really, uh, you know, beyond 
any other building that was, what was uh, in, in Jerusalem or anywhere else for that matter. But even then, he knew that God could not live in that house. Okay? Solomon prayed. When the temple was completed and he was praying, and, and he says, and now I pray, O God of Israel, that is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 26. Okay, write that down. Okay, it's on your bulletin, actually. Last scripture on your bulletin. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 26. And Solomon prayed, and now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. So in other words, to have a house built for God. And Solomon made it happen, and it became a magnificent place. But down the road, you read it in the Babylonian uh, uh, exile, that temple was destroyed, okay? And unfortunately, you know, it had to be repaired over and over again. So it was not the, the tabernacle of David that is from now on forevermore. Are you with me? So what we must understand is God is building his tabernacle. What he is interested in is a simple relationship with the people who he has called out of darkness into his light so that they establish a love relationship with each other. Okay? God sent Jesus, the eternal Christ, you know, the Christ, the anointed one, has been with the Father, has been with the Spirit from eternity past. But God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit decided that Jesus should become human like us so that he can pick us from where we are, pick us from the corners of darkness, wherever we have been, and bring us into the light of God. And re remember, all of this is because of God's desire that we should become part of his families, that we should become sons of the living God. That is God's desire. And, and, and you know, as Ephesians chapter one, chapter, uh, chapter one verse five says very clearly, that plan, he had set it in front of him and he enjoys putting it into practice. Even today, the Bible says, this is what he wanted to do, and he does it, and it gave him great pleasure, and it still gives him great pleasure. Praise the Lord. Okay, this is the tabernacle of David. I will build my church, my ecclesia, the people from darkness coming into the light. That is the tabernacle of David. Okay, a lot of people have got very interesting ideas about what the tabernacle of David could law. And the law was allowed to come in because people did not want to understand that they were sinful. So God gave the law to open their eyes about their failure, about their shortcomings. But then eventually, God would remove the law and save us by the grace of God. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And all who believe in him, simply, you know, believe in him, simply love him, they are given the right to be called children of God. They are becoming part of the family of God. We are not to be part of a construction somehow of, uh, you know, uh, denominational kind of thing. Yes, of course, we have to organize ourselves in such ways uh, because we are still in this world, but in reality, there is only one church, okay? Worldwide, any country in the world, there is only one body of Christ, only one. Yes, we belong to different families, but at the end of the day, when we finally appear before the Lord, we'll be surprised 
Because all the names that are fighting each other here, they will be gone. All the structures that, you know, people have built, some better, some worse, they will be gone. These are just scaffolds that we use in order to build something of eternal value. But thank God, God is building his church. God is building, he's raising up the tabernacle of David. Now David had a visionary prophetic picture of that tabernacle. His son still built in the old order. But the tabernacle of David was speaking about the time of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, I, I know this is heavy teaching. Maybe this was a T-bone steak. Okay, it's solid. Okay? Not, not, you know, this is what we do understand why things are the way they are. Okay? And not doubt at every corner when things don't, don't happen the way we expect them to happen. Okay? We, we are not here to, to uh, you know, bribe God to say everything must be good for me. No. Everything must happen according to the plan of God. Like it or don't like it. That's, that's secondary. And, of course, the Bible tells us that through many tribulations, we have to enter into the kingdom of God. So these things will be real. And so we need to understand that God will complete his original design of building a powerful divine family into which we all are invited to enter through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way, you know, no, no one enters because he has stronger muscles than others. No one enters because he's more known than others. No one enters because he's more bright than others. As the Bible says very clearly, it is through Jesus Christ, okay? God has decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ. No other way. Amen? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to, the, comes to the Father except through me. God bless you. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this powerful revelation from your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are building the tabernacle of David. You are building the church, the ecclesia. Lord, like you have promised to David that not he is building a house for you, but it's the other way around. You, O oh Lord, are building a house for all of us. And we thank you, Lord, that we can be part of that house, that we can be able to come from wherever we have been out of the darkness of this world into your marvelous light so that we become the dwelling place of God, the temple of the living God, the tabernacle of David. To you be the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>